Good morning. In today's headlines, as calls for humanitarian aid in Gaza grow, the Hamas terrorist organization blocks evacuation routes. We have the latest on the Israel-Hamas war. President Biden has some stern words on the future of the terrorist group Hamas, while also emphasizing the importance of a future Palestinian state. We have more on the U.S. response to the war in Israel. Meanwhile, the pressure is on to find a new House Speaker. Congressman Jim Jordan won the nomination, but does he have the votes to win the gavel? More than 270 Americans have safely landed in Florida after being stranded in Israel. Governor Ron DeSantis hopes to evacuate even more Americans in the coming days. The FBI is warning about domestic threats linked to the Israel-Hamas war. At the same time, controversy has erupted over calls for the U.S. to accept Gaza refugees. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, October 16th. Happy Monday. Yeah, we hope you had a great weekend. And as the conflict rages on overseas, protests in New York City this weekend actually did turn out to be relatively peaceful. Right. There were some clashes here and there. Yeah, 61 people were arrested, though. Yes. And uh, to our top news today, we're starting off with the latest on the war in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Secretary of State Antony Blinken returned to Israel today. That's after several days of shuttle diplomacy between Arab states to mitigate risks of the war widening into a greater conflict. You'll be meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Isaac Herzog. 360,000 Israeli troops are setting up along the borders of Gaza and Lebanon. The siege of Gaza continues with water, food and fuel supplies running low and demands growing for humanitarian aid to be allowed in. As Israel renews its call for civilians in the north of Gaza to move south, Hamas is actively blocking civilians from leaving. The IDF says it killed multiple Hamas commanders this weekend, including the leader of the October 7th attacks, Ali Qadi. In northern Israel, citizens within one and a quarter miles of the Lebanese border are being evacuated. Residents from 28 communities will be moved to state-funded guest houses for the time being. This after Iran-backed terrorist group Hezbollah claimed responsibility for multiple anti-tank missile attacks on an IFD post over the weekend. One Israeli civilian was killed. Military casualties were also reported. Comments made on Sunday by Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas criticizing Hamas were removed and changed without an explanation. A Palestinian news organization published the comments. They came during a phone call between Abbas and Venezuela's president. The two leaders were discussing Israel's bombing of Gaza. President Abbas' original statement said actions and policies of the terrorist group Hamas do not represent Palestinian people. A few hours later, the statement no longer referenced Hamas. It's unknown why the content was removed. There has been no comment by Abbas's office or by the newspaper. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis welcomed Americans back after they were stranded in Israel for eight days. Sunday's charter flight carried over 270 people, including 91 children. First big plane load, 270 people here. I think if you were watching, 
you saw a lot of families with young kids. So a lot of these people were in a real pinch. They had no help. They were not able to get out of Israel. And the state of Florida stepped up and, uh, and answered the call. Florida partnered with search and rescue nonprofit group Project Dynamo and sent the plane to Israel. This occurred as major airlines canceled flights in and out of Tel Aviv after the Hamas terrorist attacks. Governor DeSantis says he expects more flights to bring Americans back home will be sent out in the coming days. The U.S. State Department estimates that over 20,000 Americans are currently in Israel and Gaza. The Israeli military now estimates close to 200 hostages are being held by Hamas and other terrorists in Gaza. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the current situation in Gaza and Israel. With food, water, electricity and fuel in Gaza running low, demands from world leaders and the United Nations are growing for humanitarian aid. The IDF released these images of UNICEF first aid kits used by Hamas terrorists in their attacks with the caption, humanitarian aid for the purpose of terrorism, along with harrowing body cam footage recovered from a Hamas terrorist on October 7th. Israeli President Isaac Herzog says efforts being made to remove Palestinian civilians are being countered by Hamas. We are trying to help Palestinians in Gaza to go to a safe zone, whilst Hamas is trying to block them all, all the way through. One resident north of Gaza City told IDF that Hamas was confiscating people's belongings, including car keys and IDs, to stop them from heading south. IDF spokesperson Jonathan Conriquez shared aerial footage of a Hamas roadblock. And this is the same two vehicles, and you can see the line of civilian vehicles trying, try, trying to go from north to south, being blocked by two other vehicles. And that corresponds with intelligence and information we have from various sources. At least 70 people were reported killed and around 200 injured in Gaza in an explosion on an evacuation route Friday. Preliminary examination by forensic analysts and other experts have raised questions about the explosion's origin. Conriquez stated the IDF does not target civilians and did not target vehicles or people trying to heed their evacuation warning. Specifically because we wanted people to go south, so it makes no sense for the IDF to have done it. Who would want to stop those same civilians? The same organization that did the roadblocks, Hamas. Conriquez cautioned against trusting information coming out of Gaza, as it is all authorized by Hamas, including casualties reported by the Gaza Ministry of Health. And ask yourself, why was this information disseminated, and how does it serve Hamas and its propaganda purposes? Conriquez said in a Q&A on X Spaces Sunday, the IDF has assessed the footage and expects it to release proof it was done by Hamas in the coming days. He emphasized the IDF objective. We are hunting their commanders, we are striking their infrastructure, and uh, that is what we aim to continue to do. And I hope that people in the Muslim world will be able to look beyond Hamas propaganda and uh, the lies on Al Jazeera and many other places and see the world a bit from our perspective as well. We have been attacked. The IDF says Hamas has fired over 6,000 rockets indiscriminately at Israeli civilians since the war started. Conrika says prior to the war, Israel only supplied 9% of the water in Gaza, and that Hamas has stockpiles of fuel and an ability to generate electricity, but that they're saving it to run command centers and their other military activities instead of providing water to their civilians. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. While the border is uh, supposedly open, Rafa, the crossing, um, since 9 a.m. this morning, but there seems to be still um, uh, 
shootings or fire, like there is still seems to be no ceasefire ongoing. Yeah, that is good news that the Rafa Gate is going to be open, supposedly, because these people have to be able to move somewhere to safety. Yeah, right. And stay tuned because the border between Gaza and Egypt that we mentioned is expected to open today, allowing evacuees to begin crossing. We hear from an expert on the role Egypt plays in this conflict, so stick around. Good to have you back. Egypt was expected to open the border crossing Rafah this morning and to understand Egypt's role in this better, we're bringing in Alex Trayman. Um, he's the CEO of Jerusalem Bureau and Jerusalem Bureau Chief of a Jewish News Syndicate. Good morning. Good to have you there. Um, first, now people have been reportedly waiting at the border to Egypt for, for a while, uh, for passage. And a U.S. official reportedly said that Egypt wanted to bring in medical supplies. That was okay. But it didn't want necessarily accept fleeing civilians. Now, why do you think was Egypt hesitant um, on that end? Well, of course, uh, Egypt doesn't want to have uh, Hamas uh, in its borders. Uh, it's, Egypt's concerned about its own security. Uh, when people accuse Israel of a humanitarian crisis in, in Gaza, they should understand that there's a seven-mile uh, border to the south of Gaza with Egypt. And I do believe that uh, Egypt should open up the Rafah crossing and that diplomatic efforts from the United States and other countries should be focused on providing uh, Gazans that flee the Strip and who rightly should flee the Strip to provide them with humanitarian aid and then also to resettle as many Gazans as possible elsewhere because I do believe that there are a lot of Gazans in the Strip that do want to be resettled elsewhere uh, and that life in the Strip will be much more difficult for them in the aftermath of an Israeli campaign than it even was before. Hmm. Now tell me more about um, the historical context here and the role Egypt has played. Um, what is the relationship between Egypt and the and Palestine's or Hamas in this case? Well, in Egypt, the 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 Arab street, so to speak, is pretty anti-Semitic. They're against Israel, but uh, the administration under el-Sisi has been very, very close to Israel. There's a lot of security uh, coordination between the two countries. Egypt has historically also served as a negotiator between Egypt and Hamas during the various conflicts, and I'm certain that uh, the Egyptians are playing a role also in mediating to try to help secure uh, a prisoner, a hostage release of Israelis that have been taken hostage in the Strip. So Egypt definitely has a historic role here and they have a very important to ro role to play here now uh, particularly in helping to find a solution from from Ga uh, for Gazans that uh, that need humanitarian assistance right and I also want to touch on one thing um, which is the Muslim Brotherhood um, some were referring to that as um, the, a, a threat to Egypt now how does this come into play in the situation well, exactly. In Egypt, you saw how uh, the country was quickly overtaken uh, after Hosni Mubarak uh, left in the Arab Spring by the Muslim Brotherhood. And Egypt was very, very fortunate that el-Sisi took over in what basically amounted to a military coup. And they've made it illegal for the Muslim Brotherhood to operate in Egypt. Of course, Hamas is uh, a sister of the Muslim Brotherhood. And uh, Israel should take a similar approach that Egypt has taken, which is a no-tolerance uh, policy towards uh, radicals like the Muslim Brotherhood and like Hamas. Mm. I think um, maybe it needs a little bit more context here. What is the relationship between the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas? 
Um, these are part of the same organization. Hamas is a literally a sister of uh, it's the it's the southern chapter, uh, the Israeli southern chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood. They are connected. Uh, all these terror entities are are somewhat connected, not just in ideology, but also uh, in terms of coordination. And now we're even seeing coordination not only between uh, Sunni organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas, but also with Shiite organizations like Hezbollah in Iran. Hmm. Interesting. And for you just touched on the important role that Egypt played um, regarding the negotiations. Just go into a bit more detail for me about that. What role exactly does um, Egypt play in the negotiations between Israel and Hamas and the Gaza Strip at this point? Well, again, historically, it's been Hamas that has brokered ceasefires between Hamas and Israel uh, in previous rounds of violence. Uh, however, this round of violence is unlike previous rounds of violence. This isn't just rocket fire from uh, northern Gaza into Israeli population centers that Israel can deal with with its Iron Dome. Here we had over 1,300 killed, uh, and the Israeli uh, populace has woken up and, and is no longer willing to accept the atrocities and the attacks perpetrated for many years by Hamas. And so the IDF is now planning a, a ground invasion, which is historic. You know, in previous contexts, uh, Israel did not send troops on the ground into the Gaza Strip. So I, I don't think that Egypt is going to be able to prevent uh, Israel from moving in to the Strip at this time. And their role now should really be focused on uh, solving the humanitarian issue, the, the crisis that is, that is quickly developing, and to try to get as many Gazans resettled as possible. Hmm. Thank you so much for your uh, insights on this, Alex Trayman. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for having me. And President Biden said on Sunday that the Hamas terrorist group must be eliminated entirely. But the president also called for a path to a Palestinian state. Entities Daniel Monahan has the latest on the U.S. response to the war in Israel. The number of Americans killed in the Hamas terror attacks now stands at 29. 14 are still missing. President Biden addressed possible hostages among them on 60 Minutes. We're going to do everything in our power to find those who are still alive and set them free. Biden says he doesn't think American troops would be necessary on the ground, as Israel has one of the finest fighting forces. This as American warships headed to the area amid growing clashes on Israel's northern border with Lebanon. President Biden spoke with Palestinian Authority President Abbas on Saturday. Biden condemned Hamas's brutal attack on Israel and reiterated that Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. The two discussed U.S. efforts to work with the U.N., Egypt, Jordan, Israel, and others to ensure humanitarian supplies reach civilians in Gaza. Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has invited Biden to visit Israel soon, but the White House hasn't announced any concrete plans. Secretary of State Antony Blinken held talks Sunday with the Egyptian president about the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. Blinken promised a corridor from Gaza to Egypt will remain open for Palestinians to escape the Israeli bombing of Hamas targets currently underway. Blinken has met with other Middle East leaders and says there is a consensus to contain the outbreak of violence. Well, first, there's a de determination in every country I went to to make sure that this conflict doesn't spread. Blinken says President Biden has repeatedly warned any state or non-state actors not to take advantage of the situation. And we've backed up those, uh, those words 
with concrete actions, including the deployment now of our two largest aircraft carrier battle groups uh, to the region. That's not meant as a provocation, it's meant as a deterrent. The U.S. warships will station themselves in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. The first carrier strike group, the USS Gerald R. Ford, arrived off the coast of Israel earlier this week, and now the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower will join. A group of U.S. senators visited Tel Aviv on Sunday to show their support to Israel during the war with Hamas. Senator Jackie Rosen says her visit to Tel Aviv and meeting with those who have lost family, friends, and loved ones deeply impacted her. I'm here to tell the world this is real. This is real. Do not look away. Senator Mitt Romney says Palestinians in Gaza are being killed because of Hamas, not because of Israel. Hamas is holding their own population, the, the Palestinian population, as human shields. Senator Bill Cassidy shared one family's story. It's hard to imagine that the good news, the news that makes you happy, is that your terribly wounded son is now alive being held captive in Gaza. Israel is expected to launch ground action in Gaza soon. The U.S. Embassy is warning any Americans in Gaza to immediately evacuate south. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And now for some short headlines from around the world. Police evacuated two popular tourist sites in Paris over the weekend. The Louvre Museum and the Palace of Versailles both received bomb threats. Unrest in Paris prompted the deployment of 7,000 officers to protect public places across the country. The action followed a fatal school stabbing by an alleged Islamic extremist. The western Afghanistan region of Herat province was hit by its fourth major earthquake in just over a week yesterday. The biggest tremor registered 6.3 on the Richter scale. Thousands have been killed or injured in the series of quakes. Residents are unsure when the earthquakes will stop and have left the area to live in tents to avoid danger. An EU commissioner has given Elon Musk and X a warning about illegal content and disinformation related to the Israel-Hamas conflict. The EU commissioner also sent warnings to YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. Ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino responded saying the platform has taken down hundreds of accounts associated with Hamas. Many countries, including Canada, have citizens trapped in the escalating conflict in Gaza. Roughly 300 Canadian citizens and their families con contacted the Canadian government asking for help. Canadian authorities say the task is complex. Officials are communicating with allies and the UN to support the departures. And first of all, our hearts go out to all those victims of the Afghanistan earthquake. Yes, definitely. And hopefully those Canadians will be able to move through the Rafah Gate and safely seek refuge in, Israel, in Egypt. Right. And I mean, um, the Canadian government has been contacting the uh, Egyptian counterparts to assist them in leaving. So, yeah, that's see. good. And I mean, you know, when we talk about Hamas using civilians as human shields, the IDF actually found a report that showed that Hamas was confiscating the Gazans' personal belongings, preventing them from fleeing. That's right, yeah. So you can imagine why they would want them to stay there mm. as cover. Good input, thank you. So we're going to go to break now. Congressman Jim Jordan faces stiff resistance as he vies for speakership. 
But if not him, then who can gain enough support? And can the Senate send aid to Israel without the House, like Senator Schumer suggests? We hear from an analyst. And Senate, Senate leader Chuck Schumer vows to push military aid through Congress as fast as possible as Israeli forces continue battling Hamas terrorists. The FBI warns of an increase in terrorist threats in the U.S. linked to the Israel-Hamas war as controversy erupts over calls to accept Gazan refugees. Another Iranian special interest alien arrested after illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border, bringing the total up to four so far this month. That story and more after the break. Welcome back. Tensions on Capitol Hill continue as the House remains paralyzed without a speaker. Late Friday afternoon, Congressman Jim Jordan won a secret ballot to be the Republicans' new nominee just one day after Majority Leader Steve Scalise dropped his bid. The question now is whether Jordan has the support needed to win the gavel. Here's more. The runner-up from Wednesday's vote, Representative Jim Jordan is now the new nominee after beating Georgia Representative Austin Scott in a closed-door vote. Well, we got two days to lobby and uh, make phone calls to understand why people aren't there quite yet. After failing to coalesce behind Steve Scalise for House Speaker, it's not clear whether Jim Jordan, who came in second to Scalise in an internal party ballot Wednesday, can get enough support either. If he can't get 217, there's going to be a new candidate. Any candidate needs to win a majority of the entire House to be elected Speaker, which is 217 votes right now. That means a Speaker nominee can only afford to lose four Republican votes if all are present and voting. Democrats expected to give uniform backing to House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Some Republicans eager to put the messy internal politics behind them and get back to work as fighting rages between Israel and Hamas and a U.S. government funding deadline looms in five weeks. The problem has been consistently that uh, we've allowed emotion uh, to get in the way of logic uh, and in, in the way of the necessity to actually govern. Um, I did not come here to, to be emotional. I came here to govern. And um, with the quicker we get past that, the better off we are. CNN reported yesterday that a number of House Republicans are planning to block Jordan's path to speakership. One unnamed congressman told the outlet he believes there are roughly 40 no votes. House Republicans are expected to meet behind closed doors this evening. The House Speaker vote is set for Tuesday at noon. And we're going to get some analysis on the scramble to select a Speaker of the House. Joining us live is Lenny McAllister, a political analyst and senior fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation. Lenny, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Good morning, as always. So who are the holdouts and what are they looking for? Primarily the moderate Republicans. And what they're looking for is a sense of stability and an opportunity to know that they're not going to go through this again. And it's not just being able to operate within the confines of the House of Representatives. Those are also the most vulnerable Republicans going into 2024. So those that are on the extreme, they're in well-gerrymandered districts where they can stay in Congress for another three, four, five terms if they'd like. It's those vulnerable Republicans, the very Republicans, by the way, that gave the Republican Party this very slim majority going out of the 2022 elections into 2023 that are going to feel the squeeze the most. 
They're the ones that are going to have to answer to the constituents. They're the ones that are going to have to go after the swing voter. They are the ones that will likely be voted out of office after all this in 2024 and beyond. So what do established Republicans have to do with this? Well, I think what the establishment Republicans have to do is, they, they again, they want a sense of order. They want to not have this ever happen again. Look, this was part of the criticism in January, putting this caveat out there that in order for McCarthy to become speaker in the first place, they would have this escape hatch that only a small amount of Republicans could use to bounce him out of the speaker's office. And that's exactly what happened. I think those establishment Republicans knew it was, it was a mistake then. They want to never see this happen again. They see it as an embarrassment, but they also see that after years of gains in the House of Representatives as a party from the 90s on through, they're looking at going back to a time where the Democrats just basically controlled the House of Representatives and only Republicans play would be the Senate. This is something that's at risk now because of this behavior over the last several weeks. I want to get to that embarrassment that you touch on in just a moment, but there are Republicans that are growing frustrated here and some are even openly saying they don't think anyone can get to 217. So if not Jordan, then who? The very interesting thing is they may have to go back to where they came from. They're going to need a compromise candidate, whether it's McCarthy or somebody else, somebody that's seen as a moderate that the Democrats will tolerate. The Republicans at this point in time, they're so fractured, they're not going to like any one person. You probably have three or four different groups going on within the Republican caucus in the House. They're going to have to pick a compromise candidate, which is basically what they did in January. And this is going to be a very hard lesson for Republicans. And this is something that happened with the Tea Party movement during President Obama's tenure coming out of 2010. You can win elections. If you don't know how to govern and get along with yourselves, you can never make the change that you're looking to make. And this is another lesson that Republicans are learning. I think they're going to have to go back to a McCarthy type of candidate, somebody that a lot of people don't like, but somebody that the Democrats will tolerate. And what the Republicans have taught the Democrats at this point in time is they don't need to work with Republicans. They can keep this stalemate as long as they want, try to force something and, and broker something where they get a lot more power out of this once it's all said and done. Well, McCarthy has floated that rerun, and he's done it once, so we'll have to see, and it would be curious to know exactly what the hardliners would demand of him. But Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is suggesting that they can send aid to Israel through the Senate without the House. Is this possible? I'm sure that they're going to use some type of legislative and, and regulatory um, circus maneuvers, if you will, to try to get around this. Of course, the executive, when it comes to certain police powers and supporting of allies can do certain things when it comes to resources without necessarily declaring war or sending boots on the ground. I think this is and it's one of the reasons why you have somebody as experienced as Chuck Schumer in the Senate. There are ways that they can get something out there. And I think the Senate being the higher chamber, quote unquote, is understanding that they can't allow the stalemate in the House of Representatives to delay things when it comes to Israel. And Israel, at least, is a bipartisan issue. This is something that both sides of the aisle support in regards to making sure Israel has the resources and support that it needs to push back Hamas and make sure that they can get stability on the ground after the horrible attacks of nine days ago. Right. So how does this lack of a speaker, we talked on embarrassment, affect the GOP in their public image? It shows them as being a very regionalized and fractionalized party. This is, again, going to be a party that's going to have a hard time winning anything that looks purple. And if there are presidential candidates that think that 
the fight in the House of Representatives is not going to affect them in 2024, they're wrong. If they go into a deep red state, if you're not supporting Jim Jordan, you're likely to lose that primary state or at least slide to second, third, fourth place. If you're going into a purple state and you're supporting somebody like a Jim Jordan, you're supporting all of what's been going on over the last two weeks, you're more likely to lose that state as well because those states, your Pennsylvanias, even your North Carolinas, states that could be in play at the presidential level in 2024, those are where those swing voters reside. Those are the ones that are most ticked off with Congress acting in this way and getting the American people to this state. Fascinating insight from you. Lenny McAllister, political analyst, thank you for your time. Thank you. God bless you all. And as the struggle to find a new House Speaker continues, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer says the Senate will push through military aid to Israel as soon as possible for its war against the Hamas terrorist group. Here's Schumer yesterday speaking in Tel Aviv. We say to Israel, America will stand with its ally Israel. So we will work with the Israeli government and the Biden administration to assemble the most generous package possible. Now the people will ask, what about the House? We're not waiting for the House. Schumer on Sunday said among Israel's requests are additional interceptors for its Iron Dome missile defense system, which has been operating nonstop shooting down Hamas rockets from Gaza and precision munitions. The needs, of course, are quickly evolving over time. He also said he urged Israeli leaders to assist with efficient humanitarian assistance while minimizing civilian casualties in Gaza. The Biden administration has underscored that democracies like ours are stronger and more secure when we uphold the rule of law. We echo that to every, to the Prime Minister of Israel and to every Israeli official we met. We told them that as well as military assistance, intelligence assistance, diplomatic assistance, we wanted humanitarian assistance and I said to them, find the fastest, safest, and most efficient way to do so. We also told them it was really important, to, and it's difficult, we know it's difficult, but still we have to, to minimize civilian casualties. Also on Sunday, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the Biden administration hopes to push a new weapons package for Israel and Ukraine through Congress, that will be significantly higher than $2 billion. But how any bill moves through Congress, currently without a speaker in the U.S. House of Representatives, is unclear. At one point yesterday, Schumer and other senators were forced to take shelter amid rocket fire. Schumer wrote on social media, quote, while in Tel Aviv today, our delegation was rushed to a shelter to wait out rockets sent by Hamas. In his words, it shows you what Israelis have to go through. Right. And um, it's, it's incredibly it's expensive, right? One Iron Dome missile costs around $60,000. Yeah, and then Hamas, these rockets they use are only $600. Right, and that shows you the asymmetry because I guess those rocket, Hamas's rockets, they don't have to be precise. There is this interesting, um, interesting picture where the Hamas's rockets, they just draw circles in the sky. They don't look like they have a specific target. Whereas the Iron Dome missile, of course, it has to be a very high-tech one because then they have to precisely intercept and calculate where they go. Yeah, and that's some of the reasons why Hamas is criticized for having blatant disregard for human life because they don't even know where their rockets are going. Right. Yep. 
So we're going to move on here. The FBI is warning about domestic threats linked to the Israel-Hamas war. At the same time, controversy has erupted over calls for the U.S. to accept Gaza refugees. Here's the story. FBI Director Christopher Wray stated there has been an increase in reported threats since Hamas launched attacks on Israel. Wray emphasized the evolving threat and the possibility of foreign terrorists inciting attacks on U.S. soil. He urged law enforcement to be vigilant, especially for lone actors who may be inspired by recent events. Ray offered condolences to Israel and condemned anti-Semitism, highlighting the need to confront threats both domestically and abroad. This warning comes as Israeli military leaders announced preparations for a ground invasion of Hamas-controlled Gaza. Police departments in major U.S. cities are on high alert amid fears of violence during pro-Palestinian demonstrations, monitoring key locations with extra attention to synagogues and mosques in Chicago. This after a synagogue in a Chicago suburb was forced to evacuate last week after receiving a bomb threat. No credible threat was found. Capitol Police in Washington plan to enhance security at the complex, and in New York City, law enforcement presence is increased. At the same time, controversy is brewing over calls for the U.S. to accept Gaza refugees. Experts predict that up to a million individuals may flee the region, as Israel has urged the mass evacuation of Gaza ahead of a planned offensive against Hamas. Representative Jamal Bowman has called for the U.S. to welcome refugees from Palestine. In contrast, Representative Tom Tiffany has introduced legislation to block Palestinians with passports from entering the country. He argues that the Biden administration should not repeat the mistake of allowing unvetted Afghan refugees into the U.S. Other Republicans, including Senator Marco Rubio and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, oppose accepting Gaza refugees, citing concerns about terrorism and the country's ability to secure its own borders, saying that neighboring Arab nations should open their borders and take them in. The Israeli military has said it'll make extensive efforts to avoid harming civilians while it carries out operations in Gaza in the coming days. U.S. Customs and Border Protection says it apprehended a fourth Iranian special interest alien since the beginning of the month. Fox News reports the latest apprehension happened yesterday morning in Eagle Pass, Texas. The four Iranians are considered special interest because they are from countries the U.S. says promote terrorism or pose potential national security threats. Migrants with this designation are subjected to stricter vetting and questioning after being apprehended. Last week, Border Patrol agents detained two Lebanese nationals in Eagle Pass who were also considered special interest aliens. Agents have apprehended 19 Iranians and 17 Syrians since Monday in the separate Rio Grande Valley sector. Senator Ted Cruz has highlighted the influx of illegal immigrants at the southern border, including those on the terror watch list. Customs and border officials have apprehended individuals from Lebanon and Syria in Texas. Yeah, it just goes to show you the importance of having a secure border, especially when there's a conflict like this happening. Exactly, because that now raises the question, because the border is so overwhelmed, how many more went in without being noticed? Right, and if vetting is already hard enough as it is, you can imagine what it's going to lead to in that scenario. So we're going to go to break here. Social media is being flooded with graphic scenes of war and terror carried out by Hamas. Find out how parents can protect their kids from graphic online content in just a moment. Good to have you back. Many schools, psychologists, and safety groups are urging parents to disable their children's social media apps. This over concerns the Hamas terrorist group may spread graphic videos of hostages captured in the Israel conflict. 
Here with us live is NTD business host Don Ma. Don, to the rescue. Don, how do parents protect their young kids from seeing potentially graphic content online? Yeah, Evelyn, I mean, I think this is something very important for parents to consider because, you know, there's some very scary images and video online that and you know, maybe even disturbing for adults, let alone young children. Uh, you know, that, that's videos like hostages taken on the streets, civilians wounded. You know, so if your young kids are online at this time as the conflict in the Middle East continues, you know, you can consider disabling social media apps or implementing some sort of restrictions like uh, filtering out certain words and phrases on their phones. You know, I think um, potentially this is worth the time for parents to be uh, more involved at this time. Because, you know, the American Psychological Association has even issued a serious warning, you know, about the psychological impacts of exposure to violence on social media on kids, you know, when regarding to the war in Israel and Hamas. That is such a good point, Don. And, you know, parents can even talk to their kids about this, some experts say, and just try to help them understand what's out there and what they should be aware of and keep away from. So can you walk us through some of the specific steps that parents can take to prevent these young kids from seeing potentially disturbing content? Yeah, you're right, Kevin. So on iPhones, uh, parents can use the screen time function to limit kids' use on their phone. Um, this function lets you decide uh, the type of content that appears on their devices and it also lets you block inappropriate content as well. And even online, this feature uh, can let you automatically filter website content to limit their access. Um, you know, parents can also set up guardrails directly within social media apps. Um, so let's say TikTok, for example, right? Um, it, it offers a family pairing feature. And, and this feature lets you uh, restrict kids' ability to actually search for content. Um, so it, that means you can limit content that may not be appropriate for them, or you can actually even filter out videos with certain words or hashtags um, from showing up in their feeds. And, and another tip is, you know, it's, it's very important to do your own research and, and keep up with new updates and functionalities uh, of social media apps. Uh, you know, parents at this time may even want to consider, you know, keeping kids completely off social media, you know, at least until the war is over. Wow, filtering hashtags, that's new to me, but that's already really helpful. Do you have anything else for us, Don? Yeah, sure, just one uh, business update, and it's a big one, it seems. Drug retailer Rite Aid filed for bankruptcy yesterday. Lenders have agreed to provide over $3 billion to facilitate liquidity during restructuring. Um, so decreased sales to online retailers uh, and lawsuits are factors in this bankruptcy. The Department of Justice and others also filed lawsuits uh, alleging Rite Aid um, filled thousands of illegal opioid and fentanyl prescri prescriptions. Um, so, of course, Rite Aid has denied the allegations. Um, yeah, just one quick update from me. Hmm. So, Don, do you think that it's a good idea to buy Walgreens stock right now if Rite Aid's going under? Because business has to go somewhere. Well, you know, I, I don't really like to recommend uh, which stocks to buy uh, on this platform for our viewers. Uh, if they want uh, professional help, they can seek uh, some other advisors here. But, you know, they're, they're, you, might, you might have a point here, but, you know, we'll uh, let viewers uh, find their advisors to talk about this. Yeah, well, we saw what happened with Yellow when that went under and all the, the diversion of that business to other right. 
trucking. I'm sure first. there is a lot of different um, things to to keep their eyes on and other um, other factors to keep the eyes on as well. Yeah, right. Aid. Too bad. It's where I bought my contact solution. <laughs> Well, I hope you'll find a different... Uh, well, we won't keep you too long, Don. Thank you so much for your updates today. All right. No worries. Bye-bye. And we're going to switch up gears here and bring you some of the latest headlines. An Illinois man was arrested for allegedly stabbing a six-year-old Muslim boy to death and wounding his mother. Officials said yesterday that the victim... were. The victims were targeted for their religion and in response to the war between Israel and Hamas. Joseph Suba was charged with a first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, two counts of hate crime, and other charges. Former Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry won his bid to be the governor of the Pelican State. He's the first Republican to hold the office in eight years. Landry trounced the competition in his off-year election by receiving almost 52% of the vote. This was about double the combined votes of 13 other candidates, including six Republicans. So no runoff will be required. Louisiana has a jungle primary system, meaning all contenders are on the same ballot. If any candidate gets 50% or more of the primary tally, they win. Otherwise, the top two vote-getters would move to a runoff. The Biden administration has warned banks against rejecting illegal immigrants' credit applications. The DOJ and Consumer Financial Protection Bureau have said it's unlawful. The agencies say discriminating based on immigration status may violate the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. Michael Cohen, a former Trump lawyer, was due to testify in Trump's civil fraud case in New York this week. Cohen said on X he needed to attend to a pre-existing medical condition that he plans on testifying at the earliest opportunity. Prosecutors say Cohen's testimony is a key piece of evidence in the case. A D.C. district court will hold a hearing today on the Trump gag order requested by the Biden administration. Special counsel Jack Smith wants Judge Shutkin to prohibit Trump from making statements about witnesses and other invo others involved in the case. Trump attorney accused Trump attorneys accused the Justice Department of attempting to impose unconstitutional restraints on political speech. Coming up, a man who stood up against the Chinese regime during China's harsh pandemic lockdowns has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. He has not been seen or heard from since his arrest a year ago. Falun Gong practitioners gather in Philadelphia to celebrate over 400 million Chinese quitting the Communist Party. We hear from members of the public about the event when we come back. Good to have you back. It's been a year since one man stood up against the authoritarian rule of the Chinese Communist Party and its leader, Xi Jinping. Peng Lifa, known as the Bridge Man, has now been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. House China Committee Chairman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin made the nomination. He called the event a story of courage and cowardice. On October 13th last year, Mr. Peng strung up banners on Sitong Bridge over Beijing's bustling Third Ring Road. This was during the communist regime's three-year draconian COVID-19 lockdowns. The banners read, 
We don't want COVID tests. We want food. We don't want cultural revolution. We want reform. We don't want lockdowns. We want freedom. We don't want an autocrat. We want votes. We don't want lies. We want dignity. We are citizens, not slaves. The video of Mr. Peng's one-man protest went viral. It ignited protests across China, leading to the CCP eventually abandoning the lockdowns and restrictions in December 2022. Over the weekend, many overseas Chinese in cities worldwide held rallies in front of Chinese consulates, shouting slogans against the CCP's authoritarian rule and calling for the release of Mr. Peng. His whereabouts are still unknown since his arrest a year ago. And on the topic of China, Falun Gong practitioners in Philadelphia held a rally yesterday celebrating the more than 400 million Chinese quitting the Chinese Communist Party and its affiliated organizations. Some local officials showed their support and attended the rally. NTD's Costa Menes has more on the event and the public's response. Local Falun Gong practitioners gathered in Chinatown on Sunday. The rally, which offered congratulations to the 420 million Chinese who have quit the Chinese Communist Party and its youth groups, received much of the public's support. Oh, it's wonderful. It's very noble thing you're doing. I love the Chinese people, the Chinese American, and the Chinese people are such a, a, a humble, good people. And this is very noble what you're doing. The peaceful Tuidang or quit the party movement was in inspired by a series of articles, including the nine commentaries on the Communist Party, published by the Epoch Times in November 2004, which exposes the crimes of the CCP. The movement has allowed Chinese people around the globe to break free from the regime's statewide propaganda machine, as well as nearly 75 years of brutal oppression that has deprived the Chinese people of their spiritual heritage and basic human rights. The CCP has killed an estimated 80 million Chinese through multiple campaigns, such as the Great Leap Forward, the Cultural Revolution and the Tiananmen Square Massacre, as well as the ongoing persecutions of Christians, Uyghurs, Tibetans and Falun Gong practitioners. Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa, is a peaceful spiritual practice based on the universal principles of truth, compassion and forbearance. Practitioners have suffered persecution since the practice was banned by former CCP leader Jiang Zemin in 1999. The persecution is ongoing and includes forced organ harvesting. I can't believe this is going on. This is such an evil world. It's, it's heartbreaking. This is very heartbreaking that human beings are treated like this. But it's good to know that people are standing up and still fighting fearlessly. You have to be fearless. The rally was also attended by a Pennsylvania state senator who gave a short speech. Organ harvesting shouldn't be happening any place in the world. Um, um, live, no living person should be killed in order to, uh, for their organs. And so certainly uh, to the extent that's happening, that's terrible. Um, and to the extent the Chinese government isn't stopping it, it should. Pennsylvania State Representative Mary Isaacson issued a citation, which highlights growing awareness of the CCP's eminent threat to the world and brings attention to the importance of stopping the tyranny of communist China and ending the CCP's global threat. Rallies were also held in other parts of the country, including Brooklyn, New York. Cost MNS, NTD News. It's a few seconds until 8, so we are starting off the second part of our broadcast now.
The latest updates on the Israel-Hamas war. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken meets with Israel's Prime Minister in Jerusalem as Hamas terrorists block citizens of Gaza from evacuating. Secretary of State Antony Blinken promises a corridor from Gaza to Egypt will remain open for Palestinians to escape. Meanwhile, President Biden has some tough words on the future of Hamas. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi criticizes Israel's actions against Palestine as pressure mounts for China to release an official stance on the Israel-Hamas war. Immigrants dubbed special interest aliens have been illegally crossing into the U.S. This month alone, authorities detained four Iranians with that designation. Welcome back, and to all those joining us now, good morning. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning for me as well. I'm Evelyn Lee. We're heading right to our top news today. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken returned to Israel today. That's after several days of shuttle diplomacy between Arab states to mitigate risks of the war becoming a greater conflict. Blinken has started his meetings with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He's also set to meet with President Isaac Herzog, Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, and opposition leader Yair Lapid. As Israel renews its call for civilians in the north of Gaza to move south, Hamas has been actively blocking civilians from leaving. The IDF says it killed multiple Hamas commanders this weekend, including the leader of the October 7th attacks, Ali Qadi. Citizens in northern Israel near Lebanon are being evacuated. That's according to a joint announcement from Israel's Ministry of Defense and the IDF this morning. Residents living within one and a quarter miles of the border are being moved to state-funded guest houses. That's after Iran-backed terrorist group Hezbollah claimed responsibility for multiple anti-tank missile attacks on an IDF post over the weekend. One Israeli civilian was killed. Military casualties were also reported. China has chosen to remain on the sidelines during the Israel-Hamas war, but many believe that the communist regime is subtly siding with Palestine. China's foreign minister Wang Yi told his Saudi Arabia counterpart in a phone call on Sunday that Israel's actions have gone beyond self-defense. This after Israel's foreign minister criticized China for their lack of condemnation on the terrorist attack carried out by Hamas. Wang also spoke with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Saturday. He reiterated China's stance on the war, saying they opposed all actions that harm civilians and condemning practices that violate international law, but did not mention Hamas by name. And joining me now to dive deeper into China's role in this is Antonio Graceffo. He's a China analyst and author. Good to have you. Good morning, Antonio. Now, first, China, for one, an atheist regime and also oppressing Uyghurs and their faith inside China, calling them terrorists and all. Why are they supporting Hamas and the Palestinian cause? China is the world's largest importer of oil. And they're very much dependent on the Middle East, obviously, for oil. And they are trying to build cachet in the Middle East, trying to present themselves to the world as a friend of the Muslim people. So is that working out like that? Are they able to position themselves as a friend to the Muslim people in this way? I think what happened initially, Xi Jinping may actually believe that he could have made 
peace between Iran and Israel. And I think that what he's the game he's playing now is that he's decided to just write Israel off, not make any attempt to include Israel, and then try and build a coalition of Arab states around China. Now, you asked, is it successful? I think, in a way, that they're winning a bit of a propaganda war, but I don't know that it will have any substantive impact. Hmm. And China seems to um, generally keep close ties with extremist Islamic groups, like the Taliban being one of them, like we just recently heard. So why do you think that is? Do you think there is more to that than just positioning them as friends of the Muslim people? Well, part of it is that China has to build a coalition, and China has lost Europe. Europe's uh, firmly with the U.S. now. Um, Southeast Asia is moving more and more uh, toward the United States. So uh, China has to find friends somewhere. So basically, China is picking up all of the heavily sanctioned countries, North Korea, Iran, Afghanistan. Uh, China is the only one reaching out to them. Afghanistan is completely dependent on China economically. And at the same time, then China is able to spin that and say, oh, look, the U.S. bombed Afghanistan. But we, China, we love Afghanistan because we love the, the Muslim people. And they're using that for propaganda. Interesting. And at the same time, though, um, I, I've spoken to a couple of experts on, on this, and there were multiple people that were talking about this opening up a possibility for China to make a move in Taiwan. Now, how does this conflict in the Middle East help China in this regard? Yeah, the, the three major conflicts that the U.S. is supporting are all very important, and they need to have continued funding. That would be Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. And all three are getting lumped together now because there's a lot of argument within the U.S. government about budgets, how much money to allocate to each of these causes. And all three are equally important uh, because if we lose Ukraine, if we lose Taiwan or if we lose Israel, then we are showing the world that we're an unreliable partner. And China will use that as propaganda. If you, if you recall, when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, China immediately started sending uh, messages to Taiwan saying, you see, the United States is an unreliable partner. They're not going to fight for you. So it's very important for us to continue to support Taiwan. Understood. And there are also reports that say that Hamas used Chinese tech to breach the border into Israel. So there is a lot of things going on also, of course, like behind the scenes. So bottom line here, how closely do you think China is involved and has interest in all of this conflict? Well, China supports Iran economically. Iran's completely uh, dependent on China economically. And then the uh, Iranian state is then training Hamas and Hezbollah, giving them weapons, giving them uh, uh, material support. Uh, Hamas gets about 70% of their uh, economic funding from Iran. And so China is at least inadvertently supporting these groups indirectly. But at the end of the day, as I said, I really believe there's been a shift in what Xi Jinping is trying to achieve in the Middle East because a lot of the media were saying that the Hamas attack on Israel has undermined China's efforts in the Middle East because China was trying to broker peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel. But I think that China has just changed directions and this Hamas attack is perfect for them. Uh, and Israel's reaction also works well then in China's favor because China can show all those pictures to the world they can accuse uh, Israel of um, human rights uh, violations. They can then isolate Israel the same way that they isolated Taiwan in the world community, or at least that's their goal, and then to bring all the Muslim countries on board with China. Hmm. So they're also able to um, take this as their advantage. Thank you so much, Antonio Graceffo. As always, good insights. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me.
Her parents' home was burned to the ground, her close friend shot to death. A woman from a violently hit kibbutz explains the Hamas terror attacks. House Republicans nominate Congressman Jim Jordan to be the next speaker as tensions in the House increase. That's after the break. Welcome back. Tensions on Capitol Hill continue as the House remains paralyzed without a speaker. Late Friday afternoon, Congressman Jim Jordan won a secret ballot to be the Republicans' new nominee. Just one day after Majority Leader Steve Scalise dropped his bid. The question now is whether Jordan has the support needed to win the gavel. We spoke to Lenny McAllister, a political analyst and senior fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation, to get some analysis on the scramble to select a Speaker of the House. So who are the holdouts and what are they looking for? Primarily the moderate Republicans. And what they're looking for is a sense of stability and an opportunity to know that they're not going to go through this again. And it's not just being able to operate within the confines of the House of Representatives. Those are also the most vulnerable Republicans going into 2024. So those that are on the extreme, they're in well-gerrymandered districts where they can stay in Congress for another three, four, five terms if they'd like. It's those vulnerable Republicans, the very Republicans, by the way, that gave the Republican Party this very slim majority going out of the 2022 elections into 2023 that are going to feel the squeeze the most. They're the ones that are going to have to answer to the constituents. They're the ones that are going to have to go after the swing voter. They are the ones that will likely be voted out of office after all this in 2024 and beyond. So what do established Republicans have to do with this? Well, I think what the establishment Republicans have to do is, they, they again, they want a sense of order. They want to not have this ever happen again. Look, this was part of the criticism in January, putting this caveat out there that in order for McCarthy to become speaker in the first place, they would have this escape hatch that only a small amount of Republicans could use to bounce him out of the speaker's office, and that's exactly what happened. I think those establishment Republicans knew it was was a mistake then. They want to never see this happen again. They see it as an embarrassment, but they also see that after years of gains in the House of Representatives as a party from the 90s on through, they're looking at going back to a time where the Democrats just basically controlled the House of Representatives and only Republicans play would be the Senate. This is something that's at risk now because of this behavior over the last several weeks. CNN reported yesterday that a number of House Republicans are planning to block Jordan's path to speakership. One unnamed congressman told the outlet he believes there are roughly 40 no votes. House Republicans are expected to meet behind closed doors this evening. The House speaker vote is set for Tuesday at noon. And President Biden said on Sunday that the Hamas terrorist group must be eliminated entirely. But the president also called for a path to a Palestinian state. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the latest on the U.S. response to the war in Israel. The number of Americans killed in the Hamas terror attacks now stands at 29. 14 are still missing. President Biden addressed possible hostages among them on 60 Minutes. We're going to do everything in our power to find those who are still alive and set them free. 
Biden says he doesn't think American troops would be necessary on the ground, as Israel has one of the finest fighting forces. This as American warships headed to the area, amid growing clashes on Israel's northern border with Lebanon. President Biden spoke with Palestinian Authority President Abbas on Saturday. Biden condemned Hamas's brutal attack on Israel and reiterated that Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. The two discussed U.S. efforts to work with the U.N., Egypt, Jordan, Israel, and others to ensure humanitarian supplies reach civilians in Gaza. Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has invited Biden to visit Israel soon, but the White House hasn't announced any concrete plans. Secretary of State Antony Blinken held talks Sunday with the Egyptian president about the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. Blinken promised a corridor from Gaza to Egypt will remain open for Palestinians to escape the Israeli bombing of Hamas targets currently underway. Blinken has met with other Middle East leaders and says there is a consensus to contain the outbreak of violence. Well, first, there's a de determination in every country I went to to make sure that this conflict doesn't spread. Blinken says President Biden has repeatedly warned any state or non-state actors not to take advantage of the situation. And we've backed up those, uh, those words with concrete actions, including the deployment now of our two largest aircraft carrier battle groups uh, to the region. That's not meant as a provocation, it's meant as a deterrent. The U.S. warships will station themselves in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. A group of U.S. senators visited Tel Aviv on Sunday to show their support to Israel during the war with Hamas. Senator Jackie Rosen says her visit to Tel Aviv and meeting with those who have lost family, friends and loved ones deeply impacted her. I'm here to tell the world this is real. This is real. Do not look away. Senator Mitt Romney says Palestinians in Gaza are being killed because of Hamas, not because of Israel. Hamas is holding their own population, the, the Palestinian population, as human shields. Senator Bill Cassidy shared one family's story. It's hard to imagine that the good news, the news that makes you happy, is that your terribly wounded son is now alive being held captive in Gaza. Israel is expected to launch ground action in Gaza soon. The U.S. Embassy is warning any Americans in Gaza to immediately evacuate south. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The FBI is warning about domestic threats linked to the Israel-Hamas war. At the same time, controversy has erupted over calls for the U.S. to accept Gaza refugees. Here's the story. FBI Director Christopher Wray stated there has been an increase in reported threats since Hamas launched attacks on Israel. Ray emphasized the evolving threat and the possibility of foreign terrorists inciting attacks on U.S. soil. He urged law enforcement to be vigilant, especially for lone actors who may be inspired by recent events. Ray offered condolences to Israel and condemned anti-Semitism, highlighting the need to confront threats both domestically and abroad. This warning comes as Israeli military leaders announced preparations for a ground invasion of Hamas-controlled Gaza. Police departments in major U.S. cities are on high alert amid fears of violence during pro-Palestinian demonstrations, monitoring key locations with extra attention to synagogues and mosques in Chicago. This after a synagogue in a Chicago suburb was forced to evacuate last week after receiving a bomb threat. No credible threat was found. Capitol Police in Washington plan to enhance security at the complex, and in New York City, law enforcement presence is increased. 
At the same time, controversy is brewing over calls for the U.S. to accept Gaza refugees. Experts predict that up to a million individuals may flee the region, as Israel has urged the mass evacuation of Gaza ahead of a planned offensive against Hamas. Representative Jamal Bowman has called for the U.S. to welcome refugees from Palestine. In contrast, Representative Tom Tiffany has introduced legislation to block Palestinians with passports from entering the country. He argues that the Biden administration should not repeat the mistake of allowing unvetted Afghan refugees into the U.S. Other Republicans, including Senator Marco Rubio and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, oppose accepting Gaza refugees, citing concerns about terrorism and the country's ability to secure its own borders, saying that neighboring Arab nations should open their borders and take them in. The Israeli military has said it'll make extensive efforts to avoid harming civilians while it carries out operations in Gaza in the coming days. U.S. Customs and Border Protection says it apprehended a fourth Iranian special interest alien since the beginning of the month. Fox News reports the latest apprehension happened yesterday morning in Eagle Pass, Texas. The four Iranians are considered special interest because they are from countries the U.S. says promote terrorism or pose potential national security threats. Migrants with this designation are subjected to stricter vetting and questioning after being apprehended. Last week, Border Patrol agents detained two Lebanese, in Eagle, Lebanese nationals in Eagle Pass who were also considered special interest aliens. Agents have apprehended 19 Iranians and 17 Syrians since Monday in the separate Rio Grande Valley sector. And it's been a little over a week since the brutal Hamas attack on many Jewish communities. And today's Daniel Monahan spoke with a woman who grew up on one of the hardest hit kibbutzes. Noah Shinar Ron grew up on the Karaza Kibbutz, one of the communities most violently attacked by Hamas terrorists. Her parents' home was burned down during the attack. The kibbutz is now a quarantine military zone, and nobody can go back there. Of the 600 people on the kibbutz at the time of the attack, Shinar Ron says 53 are dead, 27 missing, and seven kidnapped. Those kidnapped include a mom and her three young kids. She also had another a child with her whose parents were murdered earlier and that child ran into the house of the family that was later uh, kidnapped. So it's a woman and um, the, the child that ran to them is three years old and the three other kids are also very young. So One of Shinar Ron's friends was at home with her husband and kids when terrorists attacked the kibbutz. They took refuge in a bomb shelter at 6.30 in the morning. They didn't take, uh, you know, phone chargers or anything because they're so used to bombing, they didn't think anything of it. But about 15 minutes later, they started hearing Arabic outside and they realized that something's very wrong. Her friend's husband sat there with his gun loaded near the door for 30 hours. They had no water, food or electricity. They needed to stay awake in case somebody tried to enter the shelter. They heard the terrorists inside their home, their, inside their house. For a few hours, they were able to see community members communicating on WhatsApp groups. There were people saying, help, they're inside the house. Help, they shot me. Help me, please send someone. And then these people slowly, slowly, one by one, they disappeared. And so they knew they were dying. And once they had no communication, she said to her husband, okay, let's open the door. Let's let, let, let them get, let them come in. I, everybody's dead. We've been left behind. 
Another close friend of Shina Aron's was shot to death along with his wife and children. He had tried to shield them from terrorists' bullets with his body. They found a very close friend of mine hugging his wife and three kids. They were all shot, you know? They were all shot. So, a whole family. Yes. The two boys were, you know, they were uh, basketball players. They were meant to go national. They were all found in their home shelter on the bed, hugged together, with my friend covering, covering them all with his body. Shinaron takes issue with anyone trying to refer to Hamas as freedom fighters or a liberation organization. I need, to, I need them to really wake up and understand this is not the case. This is an organization whose fo entire focus is on killing Jews. They're not interested in building a Palestinian state. They're not interested in rehabilitating the Palestinian people. They're interested in killing Jews. That's our focus. And everyone who supports them basically supports that same ideology. So if you support Hamas, you're anti-Semitism. You're, 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 you're supporting anti-Semitism. You're supporting inhumane acts of murdering babies and burning down families and executing elderly people and raping young women. Looking to the future, Shinaron says the vision is to rebuild the kibbutz, to allow the community to one day live again. They've put together a fundraiser to take those first steps. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Well, but it's also good to know how to help here. Yes. It's absolutely incredible. And I heard, you know, the rabbis now, they're working 24-7 um, to help identify the bodies, recover them. Even on Shabbat, which is very, it's very, very rare. You're not supposed to work on Shabbat, right? But they are too, because they're afraid that it will risk the families in question. Like they just have to bring answers to the families, basically. Yes, a very strong people. And, you know, even a, a rabbi in Illinois that was in Jerusalem was saying that these are the most resilient people, the Israelis, mm -hmm. having to pick up after something like this and move on. And, you know, she touched on something interesting, how Hamas is not there to build up the Palestinian people, but instead to kill Jews. Well, w we saw a video from Prager University that shows how if there is concrete sent into that region in Gaza to build apartment buildings, Hamas will redirect that to build their tunnels and lay their terrorism infrastructure. That's right, and now there is all these embargoes, right? So you've got to ask, why are the embargoes? Because probably they didn't, well, um, the theory is that they didn't um, reach the people there, but instead went to the Hamas, um, which has extensive tunnels underground, which is fact. All right. Um, we are ending the show here. Uh, we'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like, if you have any feedback. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.